I'm Meg Dahl, your unbreakable host. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Unbreakable You podcast. I'm so excited to have you here with me today. I have some really exciting news before we welcome our guest, which, by the way, is the amazing Erin Holt. She has been on the podcast before, and we've had a great chat together. I've also been on her podcast a few times, and she's always just, she is easily one of my favorite people. And what she talks about is really aligned with a lot with what I talk about too. Erin specializes in hormones and she actually has a hormone group coaching program called Your Hormone Revival. And she actually had me as a guest presenter speaking about essential oils for sleep specifically. And I know her members of that coaching program really, really enjoyed learning more about essential oils for sleep. And that's really important, actually, and has to do with what Erin and I chat about in today's episode, because it has to do with we're talking about what stressors play a role in hormone imbalances. And Erin and I both get super real with our own hormone journeys and what it looked like for us and what we really had to get honest and clear about in our own lives. Some of the things that we had to stop doing, some things that we had to start doing. So you'll get a lot out of this episode. I know you all love any of my episodes that have to do with hormone balance and also hypothalamic amenorrhea, anything to do with that. So that's what this episode's all about. And I'm so excited for you guys to listen to it. But before we cut over to today's episode, I just have to let you all know that my brand new website is launched. It launched yesterday, actually, if you're listening to this live on Wednesday, February 19th. So it launched yesterday on the 18th of February, 2020. And I'm just really, really excited to share this space with you all. It was this time last year when I actually changed my Instagram handle over to I am Meg Dahl from Meg Chen. And my website was still megdharichen.com and it just was a home for a lot of the things that I was talking about and doing in the past and it just started to feel like not my home anymore and I think it's really important that if you do have a website you're super confident about it and you're really excited to send people there and it seems and it feels like you're 
cozy place on the internet. And I just kind of outgrew um, that old website of mine. It kind of expired, right? So I'm really excited to share this new space with all of you. You can go check it out at megdoll.com. So it's just my name, megdoll.com. Super easy for you to remember. And I have everything that I want you to check out there. Some key things for you guys to do once you're on the site is please go check out my freebies page. I created a bunch of freebies for you guys and I know you're going to love them. One in particular I want to tell you about right now. I will be um, teaching online essential oils classes every single month. They're going to be on a different topic every single month. So I'm really trying to provide more information for you ladies who are wanting to learn more about essential oils and how to safely and effectively use them within your homes. And if you're not local to me, that's totally fine. You all know that I do teach local classes, but if you're not local, that does not have to stop us from working together because my business is online. I have an online business. So if you've ever wanted to attend one of my essential oils classes or even just learn more about essential oils from me, then definitely check out my freebies page or you can even go to megdoll.com slash classroom and that's where I will announce all of my essential oil classes, the upcoming classes. So like I said, this one for February is all about essential oils for immune health and it's going to take place on Wednesday of next week. So February 26th. So if you want to join us for that, definitely head over there, megdoll.com slash classroom and you can get your name on the list for the class and I'm so excited to see you there. But like I said, there's tons more freebies. I have ebooks waiting for you. I have a meditation, a guided meditation for you. That was a highly requested thing that I add to um, my offerings. I've had so many of you and suggest that I offer more meditation. So that made me super excited. And I sat down and recorded one that you can use as your morning meditation. So I hope you love it. Let me know. But yeah, I am really, really excited to share this space with you. As a lot of you know, Scott also has his own business. He designs websites and does a ton of that tech online work. So website design and SEO stuff, all that crazy stuff that I'm not into. So anyways, um, actually I kind of am into it because I love, um, I loved helping Scott with the creation of my website. So anyways, I just want to give Scotty a shout out because he really, this website couldn't have been possible without him and all of his hard work. Um, So yeah, go check it out, megdoll.com. And I think I'm going to be doing a solo episode next week 
because it is episode 100, which is insane. So stay tuned for that. But let's get over to my chat with Erin. She's amazing. Our conversation about hormones and the stressors that affect our hormones is also amazing. You're going to gobble this content up. So enjoy, guys. I love you all. And thank you for being here. Hey, Erin, welcome to the show a second time. Woo woo. Hi, thanks for having me back. <laughs> of course, I've been waiting for this recording, so I'm super pumped. You're one of my favorite humans, and I love following you on Instagram, too. You always have such great posts and super informative as well, but I'm just really excited to have you on the show again and do like a deeper dive into kind of like the effects of under eating and restriction and even like go above and beyond the effects of how it impacts our hormones and cortisol and stuff like that um and like talk about like mindset and self-compassion and all those other good juicy things (laughs) Totally. Let's dive in. Yeah. So you are an expert in this area because you actually have a group coaching program. So did you want to just kind of talk a little bit about the types of women that you work with and why they're coming to you and how you actually start helping them? Sure. Um, I don't know if I'd call myself an expert, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely doing the work. So I, um, I'm wicked research-based. I really, really like to know. I'm a, I'm a why person. I'm a questioner. So I'll always be, I'm the type of person that always wants to get to the root of the root of the root. So I'm always asking why. And I just found that I was gleaning all of this knowledge. And it's I love to teach too. So I love to, I don't like information to just sit and rot in my brain. I love to teach other people. That's when I really come alive. So I found myself in my one-on-one work, not really having the opportunity to do that teaching because, you know, you you work with somebody for an hour, maybe once a month, and there's only so much you can get done, right? So I was like, how do I take all of this information that I wish that I had way back when and convey it to other people? So to give, I know that I've been on the show before to just give a brief synopsis of my health history. I, um, I dealt with disordered eating for a very long time, starting around age 12. Um, I was anorexic and then I, I struggled with bulimia for eight years. So no, um, stranger to eating disorders and food restriction. And then um, I ended up being diagnosed after I had my daughter five years ago with an autoimmune disease called scleroderma. So I'm kind of, I have a lot of digestive dysfunction. I've been through the ringer with that. And I went on this health journey as so many of us do looking for answers and coming up really, really shorthanded. And I think that's part of why I'm such a research junkie is because I kind of had no other choice but to dive into the research to, to figure out how to start to heal myself. So it's kind of like all the information I wish that I had along the way. I've just smashed, smashed it all into this one program where I get the opportunity to teach people the stuff that I wish I knew and I think is the most important stuff. So it's a three-month program and the way that we walk through it is we start with 
the brain. It's all based on neuroendocrine health. So that's your brain and your, your hormones, right? We start with your stress response and your adrenals. And it's not just, you know, diving into labs right out of the gate, but it's really taking stock of our entire life and being like, where are the stressors coming in? You know, um, doing a deep, a deep dive, getting radically honest with ourselves about what, what truly are the stressors. Cause Hey, my stressors are going to look different than your stressors are going to look different than Sally's stressors. Right. Um, that's the first, first month and talking about how we secure that, that stress response, the whole HPA access, which we can dive into later if you want to. The second month is looking more at the thyroid specifically, because if there's dysfunction with the adrenals, with the HPA access, that can oftentimes bleed into the thyroid. Um, we also talk about autoimmunity because that's something so many women suffer with. And then finally, month three, we get into sex hormones. And I think hormone balance is a really kind of jazzy topic that a lot of people want, want information on, um, which I totally get. But what many of us don't understand is that the almost like the Achilles heel of sex hormones. So when I say sex hormones, I'm talking about estrogen, progesterone, testosterone for the most part. Um, the Achilles heel is that HPA axis. It is that stress response. So if there's something in your life or in your body that's constantly triggering a stress response, it's really hard to quote unquote heal the hormones. So I know that's like where everybody wants to go, right? But like you really have to start kind of like three steps before that even. Mm -hmm. So we go through the, the whole process and along the way, people are learning module by module about their bodies. So I just feel like, and you can, I'm, I'm sure you can relate to this. It's like, we never got a, a, an owner's manual for these female bodies. They're like, we're like a question mark, right? You even go into an endocrinologist, like a hormone specialist, and they're still like, Whack, wacky female hormones. They're so crazy, right? They're not really well understood. And I just feel like that does us such a big disservice because we don't understand our own bodies. We don't understand the, the communication systems, the symptoms that are that our bodies are trying to talk to us through. Um, and so I think that's kind of rubbish. And I'm all about trying to teach women how to relearn their own body and almost like be their own doctor in a way. Oh, I'm like filled with shivers. That is absolutely incredible. And I am so with you. I remember going through like high school and just feeling like I totally didn't know what was happening with my body. And like you said, just a big question mark. So this group coaching program is amazing. And I'm so proud of you for taking like so much time and putting it all together and really providing women with this amazing information. So like you said, we don't just start with the hormones. We really work back and kind of like uncover those stressors that are in our lives causing this imbalance. And I know you work with a lot of women and one of your main focuses is talking to women about actually eating enough. So when you have a client or a woman that is under eating, how is this affecting like all of the areas of their life? 
All right. So I want to, I want to back up and just respond to what you were saying of the whole, what's happening with my body, because I think that warrants a little bit of a deeper dive. Um, so I think a lot of us are walking around with this, what's happening with my body question. Um, I hear that a lot in different ways. Um, we start, we start to, when we don't understand our body and they start doing things that have been socially or culturally deemed unacceptable, like, I don't know, gaining weight or, um, I don't know, just other symptoms, right. That we're kind of not really sure what's going on. We, we start to think something's wrong with us. We can go into self-flagellation where this is my fault. This is happening because I did something wrong. This is happening because I did something bad. Um, and that really starts this whole shame spiral, which is a really tough thing to, to pull yourself out of. So what I really like to do is shine the light on that, help people understand their bodies and also understand that like some of what you're experiencing is really, really normal. Um, another thing that I do that I didn't mention within the context of this program are functional lab tests. And when I started doing lab testing a few years ago, I started, I, I've been a nutritionist for almost a decade now and I didn't introduce lab testing until like two, maybe three years ago. And what I started to see was this really profound validation of <clears throat> you know, women who have been going to their physicians for so long saying, I think this is a problem. I think this is a problem. I think this is a problem. And their physicians have said, no, like your blood, your lab work is normal, right? All of your blood work is normal. There's nothing wrong with you. And then we go even more into that shame spiral, like, oh my God, I guess I must be crazy then. But what these functional labs can do, and specifically, I look at a full thyroid panel, um, as well as a Dutch test, which looks at your sex hormones and your adrenal hormones. So we're getting a full picture. And I, I go through with each participant and I walk them through what their labs are saying. And there's just something validating about seeing the data on paper and being like, oh my God, I knew something was wrong, right? I knew there was an imbalance. I knew something was going on underneath the hood. Like I, we, have to, we have to teach women to, to trust themselves again. Right. And so mm -hmm. as silly as it sounds, sometimes the labs can do that. So I like it for, I like it for that reason. Um, but so I did want to talk about that. If you're experiencing that, like that feeling of what's happening in my body, know that you're not alone in that. Mm -hmm. A lot of us women are running around feeling the exact same way. Oh yeah, totally. And I remember I felt like that forever before I found out that I had a parasite. <laughs> like it took me over a year to figure it out. And I was definitely running around feeling like I was just going insane and no one really understood until I ran a comprehensive stool analysis and it came up. So that's what you did. You did it through uh, what Me. test did you do? Do you remember? Um, the diagnostics. Solutions? Yeah. The GIMA. Um, That's awesome. I use that one in my practice all the time. Yeah, it's so... And like these tests, it's, it's tricky. I'm going to take like a total pivot here and then I'll come back to your actual question. Um, but I was just having this conversation earlier. It's a lot of these tests you have to pay out of pocket for. I don't know, you know, what your insurance is in Canada, but health insurance in the U.S. is... Uh, not good. Um, so a lot of these tests you do have to cash pay for. 
which I get, you know, like that's an investment, no doubt. But the number one thing that I hear from clients and participants in my program is that was worth every penny. Because like you, like you were saying, you spent a year being like, what is going on? Then you maybe spend $400 on a stool test, but you actually have definitive data to work with now. So it's not like, I just, I just see so many women who have spent so much time, energy, effort, and money throwing things against a wall to see what sticks. And these labs can kind of swoop in and go, here's the issue. Now you take the next steps, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Now you can direct your care more. So I hate to feel like I'm always pushing labs, but I'm also like at this point in the game, like just test. Don't Don't guess. Yeah. Well, ever since I added comprehensive testing to my practice, like I, I graduated as a registered holistic nutritionist, wasn't able to run any tests. And then I did restorative wellness solutions. And that's when my entire practice changed because I was actually able to test for my clients. And as a practitioner, you don't want to be guessing about this stuff. No. And I mean, there's a lot of work you can do before you get to that point. Cause it is a, you know, a significant financial investment, no doubt. Um, but it, it's like the, the people that I see in my practice have already done a lot of the legwork. It's like, what if you've done the diets or, and when I say diets, I don't even mean restrictive diets, but the healing therapeutic diets, like you've done the gaps, you've done the AIP, you've done the keto and you're still not feeling great. Then what do you do? Like if you've done the diet and the lifestyle, it's so frustrating and so maddening to just feel like, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough place to be. And that's where I feel like that they can, they can really come in and provide, provide answers for people. Mm -hmm. Um, but to, to go back to your question, um, about under eating. So you are, what you were saying, what, now I forget the question. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I talk a lot about telling people to eat more food. Yes. So, um, like I said, I've been a nutritionist for almost 10 years now, and I work primarily with women, not all women, but mostly. And I see so many people, even people that don't, aren't aware that they're un, un, under eating, but under eating, you know, not eating enough food, whether that's like 1500 calories, 1800 calories, I don't know, but just not eating enough. And I think that our, our cultural paradigm really lends itself to women undernourishing themselves, right? Um, So a lot of the work is like baseline, just getting people to eat enough to adequately fuel themselves, Mm -hmm. which should be a kind of common sense, but it's not getting people up to just maintenance calories. And I don't do a whole lot of calorie counting, but I think there's some utility in getting a beat on how many calories you eat in a given day, just to make sure you're not inadvertently under eating. But we need calories in the nutrients within calories to fuel all of the processes in our body. So, you know, how how many times do you hear a woman say, I... I get brain fog or I just have fatigue, um, low energy, like everybody has low energy these days, right? Or um, trouble thinking or getting hangry or, you know, I'm trying to think of other common things, headaches and migraines. And it's like dizziness, (laughs) would you say? And feeling dizzy and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you giving your body like the adequate 
fuel that it needs to just exist and just to get by. Um, and that's just like such an overlooked thing. And I think before you get into the high level stuff, this is another thing I'm, I'm trying to get across to people more and more before you get into the high level intervention, the biohacking, the functional lab testing, you've got to do the basics. You know, are you sleeping eight hours a night? Are you making time to get outside in nature? Are you eating adequate fuel? Are you eating a whole foods diet, right? I think there's a lot of a lot of ways to, to biohack your way through life, uh, but you gotta be just doing the basics before you start to add on the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so with, with under eating, we can, since we were talking about the hormone program, we can, we can talk about some of the effects of under eating. Um, what I tend to see since we are doing those lab testing are, is just this dysregulated cortisol. Um, so cortisol being our body's main stress hormone and it can be high and it can be low. Um, I see a lot of low cortisol, which tells me that the issue has been going on for a really long time. Um, if you think about it, we as women have these brains that are really attuned to stressors or threats or signals of not safe in the environment. You know, we have to carry the next generation. So it makes biological sense, right? That we would be very attuned to a situation that was not safe. Uh, And when that happens, when the amygdala speaks to other parts of the brain, there's this whole cascade that, that, that goes on in the body saying, not safe, not safe, not safe. So the hypothalamus communicates with the pituitary gland, which then communicates with the adrenal gland, which then pumps out the cortisol or stress response. And then, you know, we have a whole stress response in our body. If that is going on, then it would make sense that fertility isn't really a big issue, right? We're always going to prioritize survival and just staying alive over reproducing. And it also makes sense that our bodies, our female bodies might shut down fertility if it's constantly perceiving lack of safety, because why would we procreate? Why would we try to bring more children into an unsafe world, right? Again, doesn't make any biological sense to do that. So we have all of these long-term consequences of stress response. And if you think about it, like historically speaking, what's the major threat to survival? Of course, it's hunger, it's starvation, it's lack of food source. It's hard to think about and wrap our brains around now because food is absolutely everywhere. For many of us, you know, that obvious, that statement comes with a great deal of privilege. Um, But for a lot of us, food is sort of omnipresent. So it's it's a little bit hard to to think about but if you if you think back to like hunter gatherer days or not even that far back even just a couple hundred years back food wasn't a given you know food scarcity was much more of an issue than the overabundance of food and so the lack of food is going to ring those stress alarm bells in our body and this can be due to lack of food source but it could also be due to intentional or unintentional under eating right? It's the same thing. Your body doesn't know any different. It has no way to understand the difference between those two things. So, so we have sort of this dysregulated cortisol situation 
And that's what I mean when I'm talking about the HPA axis, hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal axis. That gets a lot of airtime. We hear a lot about that. We don't hear as much about the HPT axis, which is the hypothalamus, pituitary, thyroid axis, which kind of does the same exact thing. It kind of has the same fallout effect. Um, Isabella Wentz is a pharmacist who does some functional medicine work. And she has this really cool, uh, she talks about this safety theory of the thyroid, where at, like the thyroid also will kind of screen for safety. And if it perceives lack of safety, it's going to slow things down, right? Um, it's going to slow things down so we can conserve energy rather than spend energy. A lot of us know that the thyroid kind of um, sets the pace of metabolism, right? So we want, we, we're going to actually like, try to conserve as much energy during a time of lack of safety or famine. So we actually slow down our metabolism, which is just means that our, our thyroid hormone is not pumping out as much as T3 specifically, the active thyroid hormone starts to slow down. And there's this interplay with cortisol in the thyroid, where if cortisol is being cranked out, that's going to block the conversion into active thyroid hormone. So we're going to have a hypothyroid situation secondary to cortisol dysregulation. So it's all really super duper duper interconnected. And then like I was talking about with the fertility piece, it's gonna, it can, it can start to impact your sex hormones. So um, I'm sure you've talked about this a ton on the show, ovulation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that I see, and I get, I see this through lab work is where uh, very low progesterone mm -hmm. because the body's not ovulating. So we're not like, I think we're not really super, we don't really care that much about ovulation unless we're actively trying to get pregnant or not get pregnant, right? We kind of just tune ovulation out because again, no one's ever given us a manual on this, like on our bodies and this thing that we do month after month. It's just a mystery. We know that we bleed and like, that's it. Right. But around two weeks away from the bleeding period, you're supposed to be ovulating, right? And the only way that we can produce progesterone is by ovulating. So under stress, the body's going to shut down ovulation or it's going to muck up ovulation because again, why pr produce children in an unsafe, unstable world? And then we don't get to produce progesterone. That sucks because progesterone is really the unsung hero of the hormonal world. Progesterone makes you feel really good. It lowers anxiety. It acts on GABA in the brain. So it uh, helps us sleep. It helps us feel good. It helps us feel calm. I mean, how many of us are running around with anxiety or sleep issues? A lot of us. So we need that, that comforting progesterone. But I'm seeing it low on so many labs, which just says the body doesn't feel safe. It doesn't want to ovulate uh, to the best of its ability. We shouldn't just like pump you full of progesterone, right? That's, that's not the answer. It's to go all the way back to that Achilles heel and work on the stress piece. And one of those stress, major stressors is the lack of food. It's the under eating. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Amen. And I love our um, passion about encouraging women to kind of like take an honest look at what they are eating and start increasing the amount of food they're eating 
if they're not eating enough, which the majority of the time they're not. And I really liked what you said. It's not about like being really like obsessive and tracking your calories and always making sure that you're eating this certain number of calories. But I do think it is important to take that honest look and like maybe plug in a day and see where you're at. That was so eye opening for me. And now I have a really, really good idea of how much food I actually need in a day. Yes, that and especially if there's any history of restriction or you feel like this is triggersome in a way, what you can do, this is what I tell people um, if they're like, tracking food is triggering. I'm like, totally. Uh, what you can do is just, you know, if you're working with a nutritionist, you can kind of task it out to them. Or, um, what I have people do is just write down the amounts and on a piece of paper, like what you eat in a day, maybe do two, sometimes three days in a row, maybe do a weekday and a weekend day to get a real accurate beat and then log it in after the fact. Because if you're logging in real time, it can start to play a lot of mental games with you. And then, you know, delete the app off of your phone or like scrub it from your browser or whatever. You don't have to keep going back to that. But it does give you some data because if you're eating, say, like 1,200 calories a day, that can be pretty problematic, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll have, I'm always shocked. I don't know why still, I'm still shocked, but I'm always shocked at how women are how few calories women eat in a given day. And it's like, are the demands that we place on ourselves as women continue to grow? Like it, it's, we're not taking things off of our plate as the years go on. We're adding more and more. And I say this as a mom who stays home with my daughter. She's five now, so she's in kindergarten but who stayed home with my daughter and I run a full-time business, you know, and I manage a health condition. Like I'm not saying that I am not, I am, there's, there's no judgment here. Like I'm in the same stew as everybody else. I am marinating in the same stuff. Um, but we just continue to take more and more and more on. And then layer on top of that, oh, I need to exercise all the time. I have to look a certain way, right? And it, it baffles me that we're not fueling ourselves for all of the demands that we're placing on our body. Um, and we have to, I think we have to start looking at things as like, earning the right to do, like earning the right to exercise hard, earning the right to, mm -hmm. you know, X, Y, and Z. Like, have you earned the right? And what I mean by that is, have you been adequately fueling yourself mm -hmm. for a long period of time, yeah. right? We have to kind of like reset those safety cues. We have to retrain your body and your brain to understand that it's actually safe. And I have a lot of women buy into this and they're like, yes, this makes sense. Totally. Okay. And they'll do it for a month. And they're like, okay, when can I start moving into a deficit? Like, when can I start, start, um, like lowering my calories? And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's going to take more than a month. You know, we have to give ourselves the gift of patience and grace. Mm -hmm. And we're not really historically great at doing that. Mm -hmm. No, I'm really happy you brought that up because as you know, I overcame amenorrhea after having it for like 12 years and often like I'll reflect and think of many times throughout those 12 years of when I was like, okay, I'm going to get my period back. I started eating more and then it wasn't that I wanted to go into like a deficit, but I was just like, uh, fed up with like the whole like 
eating more thing. And I just wanted to be quote unquote, like normal or eat intuitively or whatever. Right. I got kind of like got caught up in that mindset. And the only reason I actually did get my period back this year was because I was consistent for an entire year. Like you have to be consistent with this stuff, whether you're trying to get your period back or just like address the health issues that you and I have been talking about throughout this episode. And I think you also have to put health parameters on a higher pedestal than weight Mm -hmm. and appearance, which is so counterintuitive to everything we've been taught. You know, it's, that's a hard one to work through. That's where I feel like the mindset piece comes in, which I know you're, you're about it, about it with the mindset piece. So, um, but that, that I see be like the trickiest thing for people to, to, to buy into. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you something? So we're talking about these women that might be under eating and obviously they know that like, okay, if I'm under eating, I have to eat more, right? So we know what we need to do, but I think for both you and I with histories of eating disorders and under eating, you and I have definitely had to come to these like mental shifts in our life where that shit just didn't matter to us anymore. And like something just must have clicked for you at some point. So could you offer the women listening right now that might be like, okay, I know what I have to do, but was there something that kind of shifted within your life, within your mind, um, for you to actually just like go ahead and do it? Um, I think there was two moments, I would say the, the first one, when I really overcame the eating disorder, meaning I was, I stopped binging and purging that, that became, that was a very addictive behavior for eight years. It was so hard to get over that because it was a, it was a, a, a mental addiction, but it was also a physiological addiction when you do something for that long. Right. Um, there was a whole set of chemicals that happened every time I engaged in that behavior. So I had to step away from that. And one of the things that I did was to just stop dieting, but I was so tired of like feeling beholden to this behavior. And I just wanted to move on with my life. So there was like there in that was kind of a slow burn, to be honest with you, like eat, like eating more food and not purging it was took a long time. Like it probably took a year or longer for me to like really be done with it. But, um, I still think that I, I hadn't, even though I had recovered from my eating disorder, I don't really feel like I truly had recovered from diet culture. So I still think there was a lot of restrictive mentality in my head and I probably wouldn't have been able to admit that at the time. But looking back, I was like, oh, okay, I, I see a lot of disordered, there's still a lot of disordered patterns, you know? I was right. like, still steeped in the cu- culture, all, even though I had come leaps and bounds from where I was. I would say the real kicker for me was um, when I received the diagnosis of uh, scleroderma and had a doctor say, like, this could be a fatal disease. I was like, all bets are off. Mm-hmm. So it sucked because it really took me hitting almost like, I don't want to call it rock bottom. That's not really the, the accurate term, but it, it took a, a big, scary thing for me to make 
a significant change. Right. And that was the moment that I was, I just sort of started to eat with reckless abandon, which not like, I wasn't like, you know, overeating. I just, just didn't care anymore. Mm -hmm. Like there's no parameters. I was just like, I'm just gonna, I'm just going to, to eat what I need to eat because I'm hungry. And like, that's it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and it sucks. And one of my, the things that I say is like, I want to prevent other women from hitting that scary spot. Like, I don't want women to have to hit their rock bottom before uh, before getting to a place where they're like, I'm just going to feed myself. But also, that was my journey, and it might be the journey for other people. And mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think there's any right way to do it. You know, if you have to hit your 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 low in order to make some changes that might just be your path too right and so many of us do but thank you so much for sharing that now I really do also want to be sure to talk about um stress and exercise because I know for a while there you were going through like a period of time where you were really focused on building this program and you were like so busy and stressed that you took some time off of exercise and like all you did was yoga. And I think that's really important to talk about because I definitely have talked about this on the show before, but I feel like it's so important to talk about again that exercise is a form of stress. And we really, I really love how you said we need to like earn that ability to move our bodies and exercise, right? Um, I know for me personally, if I sleep like shit one night, I'm not going to pick up some weights that next day because that's not like responsible of me and taking care of my body in the best way that I know how. Yes, exactly. And you know, if you want to go beast mode, if you want to train hard, if you want to train like an athlete, you also have to rest, restore, recover, sleep, and fuel like an athlete. You know, that's, that's what we're kind of saying by like earning your right to train. I think everyone needs to be moving their body. Like we know that, right? Like get outside of nature, walk around, move your body, do some movement. It's so important. Um, but the way that we approach fitness is not always the healthiest way because yeah, exercise is a stressor, um, which isn't a bad thing. We, there's a lot of stressors that, um, I mean, it's a hormetic stressor. So it kind of forces our body to, uh, it's there, it gives it, puts it under stress so then we can adapt and get stronger. Right. But if you're already inundated with a ton of life stress and under eating being a very significant stress, right, then you don't want to just layer stressor on top of stressor on top of stressor. Your body only has a finite capacity to deal with stressors. So what we do, I, I, it's like a very, I call it like a very Americanized way of looking at things. If some is good, more is better. So we will be like, all right, I'm going to eat healthy and then I'm going to work out really hard and then I'm going to start to intermittent fast and then I'm going to restrict my calorie. You know, like we just keep layering all, we keep like doubling down on stuff. And so now all of a sudden our body's absolutely inundated with stress. Our, our, our bucket is full. Um, and that puts us in a really bad position. So I know this. Um, and so when I was going through creating this program, um, the ironic thing is I was like creating this program for, for adrenal health and definitely like hit some major adrenal fatigue, for lack of a better term, throughout it. Um, but 
I took off. I had been doing a lot of high intensity interval training beforehand, and I just had to take a massive step back. And I limited my movement to walking outdoors and to doing yoga and not even like super intense yoga, like pretty like Hatha yoga and some like basic vinyasa, because I just knew that I couldn't keep drawing from that well. Mm-hmm. The well was going to dry up. Um, so we have to also prioritize our stressors too. Yeah. And I really love how you said, like, you know, this is like a temporary thing too, right? Like you're just adapting to your life situation and you know that you're going through this stressful time right now. So you need to take one of those stressors out of your life to kind of even things out. Absolutely. And it's like, I'm 35. I've been around the block enough to know that life moves in phases or in waves or in seasons, whatever, you know, whatever word resonates with you. It's not this static thing. We're not these static beings. Everything's going to change. And so I think the more that you see that, the more that you understand that, and the more you live through those cycles, the more you're like, oh, cool. This is just one of those cycles. So I'm going to like take care of myself the best of my ability in this cycle, knowing that things are going to change, you know, knowing that I will be able to return. If I take care of myself in this moment now, I'll then be able to return to the, to you know, more intense intense exercise in the future. And again, that's kind of what I mean by putting health parameters on a higher pedestal than our physical appearance. Because why do people slave away at the gym even when their body's begging them to stop? It usually has to do with their physical appearance, right? Mm -hmm. Like what else could it be? So that is just not a, uh, that's not one of my priorities. and I'm not, a, you know, totally impervious to it because I live in the same world as everybody else, but it's just not one of my top priorities anymore. My health is my top priority, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do, the decisions that I make in my life about food, about exercise are really catered to like how I'm feeling in my physical body rather than what other people see in my physical body. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so I could keep talking to you forever, but we're approaching the end of the show and I have a couple more questions and I feel like I want to leave our ladies with some like takeaways. So if they are dealing with hormone imbalance, so that top level stuff, right? Um, We want to kind of like dig a little deeper for them and go back like you do with your clients um, and really address those stressors. So if you were to tell our listeners today some of those big stressors for them to take an honest look at, we talked about under eating, over-exercising coupled with the under-eating and what are some other big ones that they should be looking at right now? So a big thing is, so definitely adequately fuel yourself and make sure, um, I, I said that the HPA axis is the Achilles heel for hormonal health, but blood sugar dysregulation also is as well. So you want to make sure that your blood sugar is regulated. So this is going to look different for everybody else, but just making sure basically like you're eating consistently throughout the course of the day. Um, 
Have you talked about blood sugar on the show before? No, we've never had a blood sugar episode and I know you're all about that too. Yeah, so I'll just try to like wrap it up really quickly. My general recommendations for somebody who's dealing with symptoms of low blood sugar, which is that spacey feeling, dizzy, getting headaches, feeling hangry, getting the afternoon slump or the mid-morning slump, um, feeling like they need to lean on caffeine or other stimulants to get through the day. Try to eat within an hour, 30 to 60 minutes of waking up because you want to regulate your blood sugar with food. Um, blood bl- Low blood sugar is a very big stressor to the body. So we were talking about cortisol earlier. Cortisol is something called a glucocorticoid. It's a type of hormone. And one of its main responsibilities is to raise blood sugar um, in times of low blood sugar. So if you're not eating and your blood sugar drops, cortisol has to come to the rescue to raise blood sugar back up. And if you've already got stress going on in the body, you don't want to keep calling on cortisol for jobs. It's really shouldn't be doing. So eating 30 to 60 minutes throughout the course of the day, depending on how severe your low blood sugar is, it's something that I test for as well, fasting blood glucose, um, eating like every two to three hours throughout the course of the day. And you really want to focus on making sure you're getting protein and fat with your carbohydrates, kind of like a balanced meal, like protein, <laughs> carbohydrates, and fat. It's like going back to the basics, like old school stuff. Um, and that is a really, that's really, really important. But in terms of like life stressors, an activity that I ha- like to have people do is to write down a list of all of the things that you have to do in a given day or a given week, and then go through and cross out the things that you absolutely hate and then circle the things that you absolutely adore. Like you look forward to, it energizes you, it fills your cup. And then compare the list. Like how many crosses out versus circles do you have? And then, and see how that stacks up. And just looking at that can be pretty eye-opening. Like, wow, I'm really not enjoying my life. Um, And then of the things that you've crossed out, what can you say no to? What can you take off of your plate? What can you outsource? Um, really, again, get radically honest with yourself because we're very good as women of being like, well, I have to do this. No, you don't. That's a lie that you've been fed. You don't actually have to do anything. So what can you, you know, offload to your partner or your children or hire a cleaning lady, whatever, you know, think, start to pick your life apart a little bit and figure out what your stresses are. Cause I, like I said, at the beginning of the show, they're going to be different than, right. than somebody else's. Right. Thank you so much. And since you've been on this show before, so I'm not going to ask you what it means to you to be unbreakable, but I will ask you another new favorite question of mine. I want to know if you know your Enneagram type and your human design type. No, I'm pretty sure because any because you've sent me links to figure out my Enneagram type, and I think I'm a one. Okay, which definitely tracks for me, for better or for worse. Um, but I don't know the human design, so I have to look into that. You should send me links. So I, can I will. Um, yes, I will. I'm very fascinated by it, and it's so cool because Enneagram stuff and human design stuff really like couple together really nicely. So I'll send you a link. But thank you so much, Erin. Where can people find you, connect with you, all those things? Um, I'm on Instagram a lot, so that uh, that's at erinholthealth.com. My website is erinholthealth. Nope. <laughs> just, just kidding. That's actually my website. <laughs> on Instagram, I'm at erinholthealth. 
Um, and the, the program that we've been talking about is called Your Hormone Revival. That The next one is going to run in February, and all of that information is on our website as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us here again. This has been such a great episode. Thank you.